Hello, and welcome to the Sunday School Supplement. I'm Amberly. I'm Kendall. And this week, we read 1 Nephi chapters 16 through 22. This week, as a little synopsis, Lehi's sons married the daughters of Ishmael. Lehi and his family got the Leahona. Nephi's bow broke. They arrived to the land bountiful. Nephi got commanded to build a ship. Nephi was filled with the power of God, got a little bit bound up at times. They started sailing towards the promised land, and they arrived there, and then Nephi made some plates. And as the police officer in our ward told me, he said, I'm so excited for this week's reading because this is the first recorded use in history of a taser. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. I'm like looking at you like, what are you talking about? And then it finally registered in my brain. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> For those still lost on the joke, we I will point it out when we get there in the reading. So starting in Come Follow Me. The first thing that I really loved in Come Follow Me is in the first paragraph. The first paragraphs, I mean, they're always just golden. They got some good summaries in these. Yeah. Maybe we should just start reading. I mean, not that we haven't, but since we have, maybe we should just keep that on trend. We should just, uh, not on trend, but we should just keep that as a as a constant thing. Do you want to read it or would you like me to? Sure, I can read it for us. So it says, as Lehi's family journeyed toward the promised land, the Lord made them this promise. I will prepare the way before you, if it so be that you shall keep my commandments. Clearly, that promise did not mean that the journey would be easy. Family members still disagreed, bows broke, people struggled and died, and they still had to build a ship from raw materials. However, when faced with adversity or tasks that seemed impossible, Nephi recognized that the Lord was never far away. He knew that God doth nourish the faithful and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the things which he has commanded them, which if I might add, might as well be Nephi's life slogan. <laughs> Uh, if you ever wonder why bad things happen to good people like Nephi and his family, you may find insights in these chapters. But perhaps more important, you will see what good people do when bad things happen. That's really a... It seems so trite. Like, just the question of why do bad things happen to good people? But, I don't know, at least in the church, sometimes I feel like we're a little spoiled for insight because... We have so many examples in the Book of Mormon, in church history, uh, and in the Bible as well, of bad things happening to good people and knowing that there is an eternal perspective out there. But it sounds stupid, but like occasionally I'll be browsing Reddit and it's not uncommon to like see random threads pop up on things like r slash atheism or whatever. <laughs> but it's like... It's, there, a lot of the points are sitting here surrounding, they boil down to why do bad things happen to good people? If God really loved us, why are there natural disasters? All that type of thing. So it seems trite in some ways, but in other ways, it really is almost the fundamental question of religious belief. Well, and going back up towards the beginning of the paragraph where it says, clearly that promise did not mean that the journey would be easy. I think that that can just be said for life in general. Clearly, the journey's not going to be easy. But in the middle, recognizing that the Lord is never far away, just what you were saying about we're, we're a little bit spoiled. As long as we can remember that the Lord's not far away, we can kind of get back into, I mean, there. I think it can still be hard to remember that, bad things happen to good people but even so just remembering that the lord is there can make a bad situation better it's like president nelson said think celestial and exactly well and to me that means just keep that eternal perspective realizing that this life is but a small moment easier said than done i'll grant you that and i agree it is much easier said than done to just be like, oh, when really crappy situations arise, it's okay. Even if you're trying to do everything right, you're fine. Just just grin and bear it. Like, obviously, and there are examples in scripture of how people find the strength to make it through those hard times. But again, what it boils down to 
is we believe bad things happen to good people because we believe that this life is not just a test, but is a classroom and that we're here to learn. And you don't just learn from being successful all the time. For sure. And not to start with the uh, Amberly's favorite conference talk of the week segment before we even get to the scriptures, but Amberly's favorite conference talk of the week <laughs> is in the section of Come Follow Me that's titled My Trials Can Be a Blessing. And so it's by Amy A. Wright. It's called Christ Heals That Which is Broken. And I I loved this conference talk. It begins with a funny story about two cousins. One of them broke a vase at grandma's house. And one of the cousins says, it's okay. One time when I was five, I broke something too. Or one time I broke something too. And grandma said, that's okay. So-and-so, you're just five. And then the person who broke it was like, well, that's great and all, but I'm 23. <laughs> and it's it's a very, like, I mean, I'm a sucker for a good opening story. The part that I highlighted in here, she's talking about the woman who was brought to the Savior by the scribes and Pharisees. And down to the second paragraph of that, it says, Christ's response to this precious daughter of God was, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Another way to say, go and sin no more, could be, go forth and change. And I love that. Go forth and change is such a, I don't know, such a powerful thing. I know that kind of veers off of what we were just talking about, about trials, but I just think about how when we're going through a self-inflicted trial, which is different than going through just a trial that has been placed upon us. The motto, go forth and change, is something that I would love to adopt in my life. Absolutely. You, you have two choices. You can either wallow in the misery or you can look for what you can learn from your trials. For so. sure. Okay, now that I have veered us off. Uh, that, that's pretty relevant to what we're talking about this week in the yeah. scriptures. So. And it's a, it's a segment of the podcast. Amberly's favorite conference talk. It has to come up every week. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the uh, going off track and into the weeds. I mean, that's also that's not just a, a segment, segment of the podcast. <laughs> that that is the podcast. That's the podcast. So we're not just the Sunday school supplement. We are the Sunday school supplement brought to you from the weeds. Just the I'm just imagining us like outside the church building on the canal bank, just like squatting in the weeds, like hey. Guys, this is what we studied this week. Okay, uh, let's start in. So we're the chapters this week are 16 through 22, like we said. We get to have some fun Isaiah chapters thrown in there this week. I was telling Kendall before we, before we started recording that one of my goals for this read-through of the Book of Mormon, I think this is my goal every time, but this time I'm going to put a little bit more heart into it this time you're publicly obligated to put more heart into it because you're recording your thoughts in a podcast yes that i mean and just even telling you but i don't think i'm alone in disliking the isaiah chapters here's my feelings so we're ending first nephi this week we're going into second nephi we're going into the isaiah chapters the story in first nephi is just so like I don't want to say action-packed because then we get to like Alma and whatnot. And those are all action-packed and I love that too. But I. Well, it's like major event after major event after major event. Yes. Like by the time you get to Alma, there's a lot more uh, historical happenings thrown in there. Um, but with First Nephi here, this is literally curated after the fact. What did I think the most important parts of my journey through the wilderness were? Yes. It is the story of all stories. And then we get to the Isaiah chapters and I'm like, I don't have any idea. Like, to be fair, I, I know what's going on sometimes, but I don't like my mind wanders more easily. And so my goal that I am committing to is if my mind wanders, I'm going to start the whole chapter over, which would be really inconvenient. <laughs> so... My personal recommendation, just write a thought 
on every verse as you read through. Take it into bite-sized chunks. Oh, man. But so so I'll keep you updated. I guess next week is our first week of uh, of that commitment. So I'll keep you updated on how it goes. We might have another week in there. The real meat of the Isaiah chapters isn't until later in Second Nephi. So. Sure. And I also really, I love, I like these Isaiah chapters that we just read because they are sandwiched in between events happening. Or maybe not sandwiched in between. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. We well, can yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll get to it. But that is another important thing to remember both with these ones and the ones later in Second Nephi of remember the context with which Nephi is writing these. We just said that he only wrote down like what he considered to be the absolute most important spiritual events of his journey. And he decides to verbatim quote two full chapters of Isaiah as part of them. And then later, I think it's Jacob writing at the time in the plates of Nephi who quotes a whole bunch more. So in a book is heavily curated and edited as the plates of Nephi. It's not by accident that they're there. They weren't just getting lazy and saying, oh, I need to fill pages. Time to copy paste (laughs) some Isaiah chapters. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Like, nowadays we do fluff writing, but them doing fluff writing is like... It'd be miserable. Yes. I mean, we we learn about Nephi making some... And expensive, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, let's start out with 16. I have stuff in the first verse. Cool. I have stuff in the second. Okay. We might have the same stuff because mine goes through the second as well. So I'll just read. Um, maybe I won't read it all the way. So Laman and Lemuel are saying, thou hast declared unto us hard things more than we are able to bear. And then going down into the second verse, Nephi says, I knew that I had spoken hard things against the wicked according to the truth and the righteous have I justified and testified. And then a little bit down. The guilty taketh the truth to be hard, for it cutteth them to the very center. So first, I think I misquote this all the time. Because I always say, the wicked taketh the truth to be hard. But really, it's the guilty. Because the wicked don't always take the truth to be hard. That was one of my first thoughts. but Or one of my, one of my secondary thoughts. But I'm just thinking about Layman and Lemuel saying more than we are able to bear. And I feel like that's a callback to last week's podcast when we were talking about when I was talking about how we would both die if we ran a marathon. And I'm I'm feeling for Layman and Lemuel here of like Nephi just made them run a marathon. And like, yes, they're guilty, but also at the same time that they're guilty they also are not in spiritual shape for this. Well, and that actually leads into some of what my thoughts on this were. I kind of have to wonder in what manner Nephi's brothers, so Laman and Lemuel, said, thou hast spoken hard things. And if, I don't know, maybe there's some additional meaning in an ancient Jewish cultural context. I don't know. But what I'm getting at here is I'm having a hard time imagining the same Nephi who frankly forgave an impromptu murder plot to kind of come out swinging against his brothers like this. I know that I often hear people resort to this sort of language far too soon in an attempt to use these kind of words as a bludgeon against any sort of disagreement Mm. rather than as a chastisement against someone who truly needs to hear it bluntly. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's backed up going down to like the, what is it, fourth or fifth verse? Let's see, fifth verse. And it came to pass that they did humble themselves before the Lord insomuch that I had joy and great hopes of them that they would walk in the paths of righteousness. So that backs up what you were saying. If all they had to do was humble themselves, then it's not that they were spiritually out of shape for this. I mean, I'm sure they were, but really what Nephi is asking them to do is just a stretch when it comes to like the marathon analogy. I'll stop with it, but... He's not asking a ton of them, and all they had to do was humble themselves. So really, they just didn't want to humble themselves for a minute. Well, and and I I have that part highlighted again as well. And you're exactly right. This is kind of the the necessary context and follow-up to the principle of 
the guilty taketh the truth to be hard. If you're telling someone that something they thought President Nelson said was a hard saying, for example, you should only ever be telling them that if you're willing to follow it up with teaching them, exhorting them to righteousness, and taking joy in their progress and understanding afterwards. That's the only way you can ever tell someone in so many words that the guilty take it the truth to be hard, is if you're willing to follow it up by teaching them and helping them find a way to kind of align themselves with the teachings that they thought were hard in the first place. For sure. So I think the next one I had was in uh, verse 10. Me too. Nice. We are so in sync today. <laughs> I'll go ahead and just read this first part. And it came to pass that as my father arose in the morning and went forth to the tent door, to his great astonishment, he beheld upon the ground a round ball of curious workmanship. It kind of struck me here. I guess I really should have highlighted part of verse 9, too, because that's where my thought was going. Um, In verse 9, it says, And it came to pass that the voice of the Lord spake unto my father by night and commanded him that on the morrow he should take his journey into the wilderness. So the night before, Lehi finds out from God, all right, time to keep on trekking. And he has no idea where he's going. He's just trusting that God will lead the way somehow. Because it says, to his great astonishment, he finds the Liahona. Lehi was not expecting a Liahona. He was fully intending to take his family into the wilderness with no map, maybe no compass, I don't know what they brought, and just trusting the Lord as Nephi had done with Laban. I I really think this is one of the understated examples of faith preceding the miracle. Lehi was willing to do what the Lord asked, regardless of its apparent possibility. And God, as always, followed through and made it possible. Well, and you also have to think about the fact that, okay, they've been there for years at this point. Like this is, they are still in the, is it the land of Laman or the land of Lemuel? Who did he name? The Valley of Laman and the River Lemuel. Okay, perfect. That was a couple weeks ago. I don't know. That may be wrong. Who knows? Um, It's it's one or the other, vice versa. But they are still there. Like, it's been, what? At At least enough time for like three trips to Jerusalem? Yeah, like years. Well, and I mean, the trips to Jerusalem are not simple trips either. And they have been there for years. And so you have to think about the fact that When it's like, okay, strike down camp. It's like, we have had camp set up for years. I grew grapevines on my tent flaps. Like, (laughs) You would. I mean, I would. But I'm like, I'm thinking about all of this and we know where to hunt to get food. We know the lay of the land. We, it gives me a little bit more compassion for Lehman and Lemuel. I mean, to a degree in a little bit when they get to the beach and they're like, all right, we've made it to the promised land. Yay. <laughs> Cause it's like, yeah, if I had just been somewhere for however many years and then had to move again, I'd be like, we are done. I am done here. I'm done moving. I mean, just think about, I think when we were moving into our house, um, in 2020, when we had, done all the flooring gotten everything moved in Kendall's like I never want to pack up my stuff again like I think we have talked about like we'll just buy new stuff instead (laughs) yes moving does suck sorry to derail us a little bit but I just am impassioned well how much moving sucks (laughs) and I I actually think that that does lead into kind of the next major episode here Obviously, they were subsisting at least decently wherever they were, and now they have to subsist on the move. And that's why when, you know, the bow breaks and Laman and Lemuel's bows lose their tensile strength and no one can hunt anymore, you're stuck with whatever slings and traps you can make. That's why even Lehi starts saying, like, what is going on? Why are we just going to starve and die? This doesn't make any sense. Sometimes we really underestimate how impactful our physical needs can be on our spirituality. When it seems like things are going wrong precisely because we're following the Lord, it can be real tough to keep the faith. I also think that Christ so frequently described himself as the bread of life and the fount of living water. 
because he wants us to think about him and plan our days and lives around him as much as we do around sustenance, around eating and drinking. It's kind of hard to forget that you need to eat and drink. And that's how hard it should be for us to forget Jesus Christ and his life and his mission. Oh, I love that. So before we go, I, I know you were just referencing in verse 28. I have a highlight in verse 16 that, that goes along with this. So in verse 16, it says, And we did follow the directions of the ball, which led us in the most fertile parts of the wilderness. So going right along with that, their physical needs are being taken care of by the Lord already. So they like, they leave and it's not like it goes, we packed up camp, we're following the Liahona, we can't find any food. Now Nephi's bow breaks. It's, we've packed up camp. This little ball is really cool and showing us where we need to hunt as we go along. It's given us the Google Maps search along route for restaurants. And then... Nephi's bow breaks we can't make it to any of these restaurants anymore (laughs) and so I just think about that and it feels like your one crutch has been ripped away yes that I had a comment on verse 23 go for it talked about verse 20 everyone's bows breaks everyone's hungry and complaining except Nephi uh, including Lehi and then this gets pointed out a lot where Nephi makes his new bow and then goes to Lehi and says whither shall I go to obtain food this really is just an absolute masterclass in both honoring the priesthood authority of his father and the calling to which his father was called, as well as providing his father as his father, not as a priesthood authority, but just as a person, the opportunity to repent in a very kind and gentle way. Nephi did not preach to Lehi in the same direct way that he does with Laman and Lemuel because Lehi can take a hint, can take a spiritual hint, so to speak. Nephi gave Lehi a task that required him to be worthy, and he knew that his father would realize what he had to do in order to properly perform his role as the patriarch of their family. And it's so interesting to see the different ways you minister to different people. Everyone has different needs. Some people really kind of need the blood and thunder. I think less people need it than do, but some people do need it. Some people respond, and even in a less confrontational way, some people respond really well to the rah-rah, I love God, like, let's go. Like, some people respond really well to that. Other people respond better to the quiet contemplation. Some people respond well to, like, really detailed doctrinal deep dives other people really like object lessons and stories to illustrate like the parables and everything there's so many different ways that spiritual learning can take place and there's so many different ways we can invite people to repent and to come unto god we hear the phrase like go preach repentance to the world and it's like i don't want to come up to someone and say hey you repent do better you suck But that's not what God's telling us to do. When we're calling people to repentance, it can be done in a lot of different ways. So I have a couple thoughts on that note. So going off of what you were just saying, I also think it's interesting to see that you don't have to be at any certain, like, there's no hierarchy in ministering. Does that make sense? There's not, like, everyone still needs ministered to, whether they're the literal prophet or... The dumb brothers. like <laughs> Right. Nephi ministered to both his father and his brothers. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And I also love that the outcome is the same on both of them. For they had humbled themselves in verse 24. And then going back to, what was it, verse 5? When Laman and Lemuel humbled themselves. I also think when you're looking in verse 25... And it came to pass that the voice of the Lord came unto my father, and he was truly chastened. And I think about the fact that the Lord has been satisfied with writing messages on the Liahona, but this was one that the voice of the Lord had to come down. It was like, okay, this is not like a scolding in writing. This is like, you are literally a prophet. Shape up. I don't know. That's that's what I'm thinking. Well, I think that's a... A good point in that Laman and Lemuel, I mean, sure, they got talked to by an angel one time, but God doesn't really, I don't know, 
God loves Laman and Lemuel. It's, well, it's just the with great power comes great responsibility. This is the prophet of the Lord. You can't be acting like Laman and Lemuel here. Sure, but but here's the thing is that like God doesn't really, he's not going to go chasing Laman and Lemuel in this personal manner because he knows that would bring Laman and Lemuel under even greater condemnation in a way because chances mm-hmm. are they still wouldn't listen. Yeah. And so it's an indication that it may not be fun in the moment, but we should be grateful when people are willing to call us out on our crap. And especially when that call out comes from religious authorities. Like if the prophet says something or one of the apostles says something that like really hits a nerve with you and you're like, oh boy, that does not sound fun for me specifically. It probably isn't fun, but we should be grateful that we're having those feelings and that the spirit is trying to work with us personally to get us to repent and step up to a higher level because it means that God knows we can. It means that God's not going to be sending us messages we can't act on, you know? For sure. Uh, my next highlight's in verse 29. Okay, my next one is in 28. I'm, I don't know, I'm talking a lot. <laughs> Go for it, Sorry. it's great. So in 28... At the end of 28, it says, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the pointers which were in the ball, that they did work according to the faith and diligence and heed which we did give unto them. And I think it's interesting that we're always talking about that faith is what they needed, but diligence and heed. So the Liahona is not going to work if, like, if you have faith, that's one part, but then you also have to have diligence, so... It's the parable of the talents. A hundred percent. And you have to heed them. Like it, it totally is the parable of the talents. Yeah. I yeah. hadn't I hadn't put that together. So it's use it or lose it with <laughs> spiritual gifts. <laughs> yeah. You can't just because I mean the guy who hid his talent had it taken away. Yeah. yeah. Probably still had faith of some. Well here's he said I, I yeah. knew I knew thou wert a hard man. This servant knew his master. He knew that his master had great expectations. So that servant believed in his master's authority and power, but he didn't see fit to rise up to those expectations. Mm -hmm. He knew that his master was a great man, but didn't figure there was any point in trying to become great himself under his master's direction. Yeah. I really liked that about the Liahona, this read. Um, And then relating to having faith and giving heed and diligence, uh, leading them through the wilderness. Uh, Nephi at the end of 29 says, and thus we see that by small means, the Lord can bring about great things. And I know that the uh, Book of Mormon already has a subtitle, another Testament of Jesus Christ. But if it had a slogan, I would or say- a sub-subtitle? Or yes, a <laughs> secondary subtitle. It would be something along these lines. Because I don't know how many times that near this exact phrasing gets repeated in the Book of Mormon, but I think it's like at least five. Maybe we can keep count throughout the year. Small and simple. Yeah, just all the things. Every like so many times it gets referenced that it is through small and simple things that the Lord brings his great work to pass. So and that really is true, because if his work and his glory is the immortality and eternal life of man, obviously Christ is not necessarily a small and simple thing. But we are small and simple things, and God is relying on us to get that message out to his children so that everyone can have that chance at salvation. For sure. So my next highlight is in verse 32, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with food. (laughs) And I just highlighted, when they beheld that I had obtained food, how great was their joy! Exclamation point. Preach. Same. I am also so happy when you bring me food or when I go and get food. My joy is great, exclamation point. I know that that's kind of being a little silly, but truly relating it back to the fact that Christ is the bread of life, that should be the joy we have when we take the sacrament, when we really think about how vital Christ's spirit and presence in our lives is. Amen. So I have, I actually have a special highlight on verse 38. All right, go for it. So I had quite the insight when I was reading through this this week. So as they're journeying, Ishmael passes away and this upsets all of his daughters and all of his sons. 
and Layman and Lemuel, never ones to miss out on the chance to be upset about things, decide to murmur with the sons of Ishmael. And it says, I'll read 37 in the start of 38. And Laman said unto Lemuel and also unto the sons of Ishmael, Behold, let us slay our father and also our brother Nephi, who has taken it upon him to be our ruler and our teacher, who are his elder brethren. Now he says that the Lord has talked with him, and also that angels have ministered unto him. But behold, we know that he lies unto us. I really think that this particular episode with Laman and Lemuel is the moment that they slide past the danger zone of their spirituality and into full-on intentional wickedness. They know full well that Nephi has been administered to by angels because they have been ministered to by an angel. They have been swayed personally by the spirit of Nephi's teachings. You could argue that their earlier let Nephi die in the wilderness to wild beasts episode could be chalked up to high emotion. They're so close to Jerusalem. They've gone back and forth several times. They really just want to go back. But this seems so much more premeditated. Well, and you also think about the fact that the beginning of this chapter is when they all get married. So they are all like, quote unquote, officially adults now. Right. Starting their own household. So they probably do feel that degree of independence and separation from their family. But from here on, Laman and Lemuel will only ever cooperate with Nephi through force and when threatened with the safety of their physical lives. In that situation where they were tempted to leave Nephi in the wilderness to die by wild beasts, when we were talking about that a few weeks ago, I mentioned that we're always expected to forgive, but whether or not we continue to associate with someone is a different matter. I would posit that when people start acting like this in whatever comparable way, hopefully not literal death threats, but when people start, you know, intentionally slandering, mislabeling, going out of their way to make us miserable, that's when it's no longer our responsibility to try and fellowship that person or to be a force for good in their lives. I don't think Nephi ever has another time preaching to his brothers that doesn't just boil down to stop doing what you're doing or you're literally going to die. I think that's what every single sermon he gives to them from here on out is. And sorry for the long monologue there, but just when I read this, it hit me. This is the moment they wanted to, they premeditated killing their father and brother. And that was the point at which it kind of became too late for them where they had hit the point of past feeling. Yeah, I agree. I mean, thinking forward, this is the, uh, I know that there's the creation of the Nephites and Lamanites once we get to the promised land, but you could really pause it to say that this is the creation of the Nephites and Lamanites. This is where it becomes a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Which is so sad. That makes me sad. It, 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 it's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. And we'll see how, I mean, the whole bad things happening to good people, we'll see plenty of examples of that. Like we've talked about how every header in Come Follow Me talks about as Lehi's family journeyed towards the promised land or the very first one talking about this is a book about a family. And I don't know, just, I mean, thinking about that separation this is the tearing apart of a family, and that's really sad to, I don't know, it just makes me, just what you were saying, it's really heavy. It makes my heart heavy. There is a, a, a positive outlook to this as well, which is that sometimes a lot of us feel like, oh, I feel like Laman and Lemuel more than I feel like Nephi sometimes. <laughs> and you know what? I think that can be true for the Laman and Lemuel before this point. I think a lot of us like to complain and a lot of us like to take the easy way out. And if we ever had house fulls of riches, we would probably be pretty happy staying there. Yes. The lighthearted Laman and Lemuel. And it's like they, I mean, they beat their brothers. Uh, they definitely had some poor choices and bad ideas, but it never really got to this point. After this point is when it starts to get real bad. And I just want to remind everyone, if you ever feel like a layman and Lemuel more than you feel like a Nephi, that's okay. 
you can be- at least you haven't ever tried to kill someone. I was gonna say you can become the Nephi still. You can absolutely humble yourself and repent, and it really is not. The only reason it's ever too late for anyone is because they choose to stop feeling the spirit. So as long as you're always trying to feel the spirit, you always want to feel the spirit more in your life, even if you're not making those choices. If that is your desire and you keep working on that and keep repenting, then it is never too late. Amen. All right. Headed into chapter 17. I don't have one for quite a while because I knew that there was a lot to talk about and I had to get kind of picky on what I was highlighting and what I wasn't. I have a highlight in verse two. So, and so great were the blessings of the Lord upon us that while we did live upon raw meat in the wilderness, our women did give plenty of suck for their children and were strong. Yea, even like unto the men. And they began to bear their journeyings without murmurings. This hit me this time because as a mother to a five-month-old who is nursing, I was just thinking about how hard it is with a newborn and a toddler. It's hard to eat sometimes. Like, it's hard to make the time to feed yourself, to do all these things. And so these last few months have been me figuring out ways to have fast food consistently throughout the day so that I could keep my milk supply up. And I'm just thinking about these women going through the wilderness they are, I mean, I think it's a highlight sometimes that they are, they began to bear their journeys without murmuring. And I'm like, okay, we talk about murmuring a lot. I don't think that this is necessarily murmuring of like Laman and Lemuel degrees. I think this is murmuring of, we are eating so inconsistently. How am I supposed to keep my milk supply up? They don't have freezers full of milk so that it's like, If I need a break, I can give my baby a bottle. It's like, no, we need to keep our milk supply up. And I'm, I'm sorry to be going on this for so long. I'm just, that verse hit me so hard at this time in my life because I'm like, what a truly a miracle. I haven't really seen that as, as big of a miracle as I have this read through of these women were eating somewhat inconsistently and still were able to nurse their babies every time that they needed to. And it was, it just hit me because that's such a, such a poignant thing in my life right now. Well, and obviously Nephi considered it significant enough to include as well. So for sure, I think you're in good company in verse 22 in this chapter, Nephi is commanded to build a ship. He goes, gets asked the Lord where he can get metal to make tools Lots of lessons we can learn in that story, but for the sake of time, eventually he starts getting discouraged, not at the concept of building a ship, but at the fact that Laman and Lemuel won't do anything and that they're not helping. And I'm sure they're encouraging other people not to help too. And Laman and Lemuel, seeing this, are like, oh, you finally realized how stupid you're being um, and start mocking him. But as they mock him, they start going through and saying, oh, yeah. Uh, Our father was foolish to leave Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem are righteous and we could have been happy and it would be better that our wives had died instead of coming with us and all this stuff. And it ends in 22 with Nephi summarizing, and after this manner of language did my brethren murmur and complain against us. Notice how what began as mockery and being glad in their hearts devolved into complaining, murmuring, and eventually anger joy with some big air quotes there that's derived from the misfortune of others never lasts it always makes us feel worse coming out of the experience than we did going in there is no happiness to be had in putting others down or wishing bad things upon others even when the other people probably deserve it on some level just remember be careful about thinking that someone deserves something on some level because We're all sinners before God, and we should leave the judging to those who are called to do so. I can't agree more with everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Again, for sake of time, the next one I would want to jump down to is in verse 44. These are some long chapters. I have one in verse 36 that I really love. The tag that I have on it is the nature of God. So verse 36 says, Behold, the Lord hath created the earth that it should be inhabited, and he hath created his children that they should possess it. And I really love this. Just the earth was made to be inhabited, and we were made so that we could possess the earth. And this verse 
calls to me of being a good steward of the earth, like this great blessing from God and the stewardship that we have over the earth. And as a like avid lover of gardening and ground improvement, I just, I look at this and I'm like, what can we do to, I mean, going back to what we were just talking about a a couple minutes ago about the parable of the talents, how can I improve this gift that I have been given, that I have been created to possess? I don't know. I just, I really love that. I also am just really antsy for gardening season to start. (laughs) Uh, For sure. No, this honestly... This whole sermon, so from 23 way on down, I think for practically the rest of the chapter. I think, yeah. Nephi is like, he has had it with Laman and Lemuel. He goes and he spells out all the parallels between their own journey and the exodus from Egypt and is saying like, look, guys, if you really think that the Jews at Jerusalem are righteous, why would God need to lead us away? God leads the righteous away from the wicked all the time. That's literally how the nation of Israel came to be. And verse 44 really hit me. Nephi says, Wherefore, the Lord commanded my father that he should depart into the wilderness. I think that the choice of pronoun here is extremely significant. Laman has well and truly lost the birthright at this point, and Nephi knows that it has fallen upon him. Laman and Lemuel are, like we alluded to earlier, they're already separate in a way. They are kind of beyond being a part of the family of the righteous. Ye Um, are swift to do iniquity, but slow to remember the Lord your God. Yeah, and this is where I had my note of kind of there is a lesson of hope here in that what Nephi is condemning so vehemently here is not that Laman and Lemuel were complaining about having to build a boat. That's not what he's getting at here. What he's so vehemently condemning is the willingness to deny what they've already seen and what they have learned with a surety and to revile against those who still hold to those teachings. It's the jealousness of position and perceived importance with, oh, Nephi's going to rule over us. It's the willingness to justify the blatantly wicked society of Jerusalem. Those are the things that has Nephi fearing that they are already past feeling. And I, I really feel that there's very few of us who get to that point. As long as we can keep feeling the desire to repent and the desire to approach the tree of life, we are always able to do so. I just want to emphasize that in kind of these episodes of very sad situations. Yeah. I have a testimony that people can come back from being past feeling. I mean, obviously we know Layman and Lemuel do not, but I think there are so few people that I've ever met in my life that are truly past feeling like this. If you're on this earth, there is hope for you. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Again, no one is ever truly so far gone that the atonement of Christ can't bring them back. That's just impossible. The only problem with being past feeling is that you no longer have a desire to come back at all. Like you For sure. actively avoid it, which again is just so rare. <laughs> Where do you want to go to next? I am fine going ahead to chapter 18. Sweet. There's so much reading this week and we're not going to get to all of it. <laughs> oh, I did want to point out here. I said at the start of the episode, I'd point it out. Uh, here when, you know, Nephi says, so Laman and Lemuel predictably get angry after this whole sermon and are like, let's throw Nephi into the ocean. And he says, don't touch me or you're going to die. And they get kind of scared. And then a few days later, God tells Nephi, all right, you can touch them now. Don't worry. They won't die. And so he does. And then they get shocked. And that is the first recorded use of a taser in history. (laughs) We can go to 18. I do just really love in verse 55, so in the last verse here, the very end, I would not suffer them, saying, I am thy brother, yea, even thy younger brother. Wherefore, worship the Lord thy God, and honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God shall give thee. The Lord's still giving them the land, and they just need to shape up. This is like the simplest version. And I'm like, I know they weren't listening to that whole thing that Nephi just did, but hopefully they listened to this little bit. I mean, not that they did, but. (laughs) Sure. But that's, I mean, that's a really good point. 
Nephi has, and it's not even as Nephi himself has pointed out, it's not Nephi asking them to do anything. It's the Lord. And the Lord has not asked them to do anything beyond that kind of baseline that he expects everyone to do. You don't see any stories of Sam getting chastised, and yet Sam is not going out there having amazing visions. I don't know, maybe he is, but we don't get a recording of it. So presumably, Sam is not, you know, going, asking the Lord how to build a ship. I feel like Sam is the Aaron to Nephi's Moses, is how I've viewed it, just in the, I was just about to say sidekick, but that feels a little irreverent to say. But I mean, there's always kind of the, the silent workhorses who, you know, keep the faith and maybe don't have the flashiest of positions, but are every bit as important as anyone else because God esteems all flesh equally. All right, let's skip to 18. Well, I guess it's not even skipping. Let's go to 18 now. (laughs) Again, in the interest of having a lot to talk about, uh, I just have something I wanted to comment on in verse 20. But we can summarize before that if you'd like. So they build the ship. They head out to sea. Nephi mentions the birth of Jacob and Joseph. And after they've been at sea for a while, Laman and Lemuel and some of the sons of Ishmael and everyone's wives also begin to party and they're partying a little too hard you could even say party hardy but it's a bad (laughs) party hardy this is not the party hardy we like to do and so nephi comes up and says hey guys you are saying some things that should not be said considering who brought us here and who we know brought us here and when he says that layman and lemuel immediately jump to you're trying to be a ruler over us again. You're trying to exert your authority over us. We're not going to take it. Well, and even they're recognizing their... I I didn't even think about this until just now. They recognize that they have both given up the birthrights as well. Like They're recognizing that. Anyways, sorry to interrupt Absolutely. you. I just well, was no, thinking about that. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. The fact that they jumped to the whole Nephi's trying to be a ruler over us again is probably because that's always on their mind. Because they're always aware of the fact that they have fallen short and refuse to stand up again. But they decide, okay, we're going to tie you to the mast or whatever. I suck at parts of ships. Um, (laughs) But they tie him to something. And presumably they're tying him there with the intent to let him starve to death or dehydrate to death. And it gets worse and worse. Everyone is begging them to let him go. But eventually, here in verse 20, And there was nothing, save it were the power of God, which threatened them with destruction that could soften their hearts. Wherefore, when they saw they were about to be swallowed up in the depths of the sea, they repented of the thing which they had done, insomuch that they loosed me. And so this whole ordeal of getting mad at Nephi trying to stop them and tying him up for four days with, I assume, the intent to kill him, They didn't care about the suffering of their own very young brothers. They didn't care about Nephi's small children. They didn't care about their fellow partiers, who at that point could see that things had gone too far. And I was trying to think, okay, how can we learn something from this besides just saying, wow, Laman and Lemuel, you guys suck. I know it's never to this degree, but how many of us have lashed out in one way or another because we were doing something that we enjoyed, something we probably didn't even really consider inherently wrong or bad, And someone came and rained on our parade with the talk of responsibility and service. Have we ever wanted to just throw away responsibility and religion because it wasn't letting us do the things we enjoyed? I think we all have to some extent. I I certainly know I have. And we need to be willing to listen to those who are trying to help us stay the course and get to the promised land, so to speak. Again, it's never to this degree, I'm sure. But I think all of us could do to... Remember to be humble when someone is suggesting a course correction. For sure. My next highlight is down in 21, and it is saying, I prayed unto the Lord, and after I had prayed, the winds did cease, and the storm did cease, and there was a great calm. And I just think about that great calm, and I keep saying in these podcasts, reading ourselves into the scriptures, which really is my way of saying, like in all scriptures, (laughs) to myself. Um, But I'm just thinking about that along with the anger that I have sometimes when people ran on my parade and the like the frustration that I have and once I like kick myself in the pants and wake up to 
okay, this is probably the right thing to be doing. (laughs) Um, The great calm that can enter our lives. What a blessing it is that when we are in those situations of like big partying, (laughs) that the next thing that can come is a great calm so that we can notice the difference between the thing that we like and the thing that we should be doing and enjoying, which is the calm and peace that following the gospel, following the Lord can give us. Absolutely. This is not, by the way, a PSA against partying. We like parties. We like to have fun. The Lord... uh, Our house is too small to throw parties, but (laughs) if it wasn't, we would throw some ragers. The Lord (laughs) literally put festival days into Jewish law in Leviticus. So just know it's okay to have fun. It's just, what are we prioritizing? What do we get mad when the fun has to stop? That's kind of the the overall lesson I'm taking out of this. All right. Do you want to move on to chapter 19? Yep. They get to the promised land. Nephi gets some ore and makes some plates. I really like in verse 6, Nephi is talking about writing on the plates. And he says he's not going to write anything unless it's sacred to him. And then he says... And now, if I do err, even did they err of old, not that I would excuse myself because of other men, but because of the weakness which is in me, according to the flesh, I would excuse myself. And I really love the accountability here of, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. (laughs) To quote Hannah Montana. (laughs) In all seriousness, though, this is really, truly a very healthy mindset that we should all adopt of realizing no one is perfect. That doesn't necessarily excuse them, and it doesn't necessarily excuse us from our mistakes. There's still that accountability and agency, but the recognition that that's part of life. We all have that weakness of the flesh, and we shouldn't let that stop us from trying to do good things. For sure. Nope, I love that. All right, what's your next highlight, Kendall? Um, I would jump down to verse 18. So Nephi, still talking about uh, the plates, he actually talks about some of the prophecies he's read on the brass plates and how he wants to record them for his posterity. In verse 18 he says, And I, Nephi, have written these things unto my people, that perhaps I might persuade them that they would remember the Lord their Redeemer. And I bet Nephi is thinking of the visions of the destructions of his people that he's had, or at least the people claiming his name, because it all gets a little bit arbitrary post 400 years of prosperity after Christ. And so when he writes about convincing his people to believe in Christ, I bet he has those visions in mind. No one knows better than Nephi the importance of a written record, which can literally be worth killing someone over in very specific circumstances. The Book of Mormon the Bible, and really the entirety of Judeo-Christian history, even arguably Muslim history, really hammers home the importance of learning the will of God through Scripture. I am personally attacking myself here because it's amazing how easily we let Scripture study just slip by considering the amount of emphasis placed on Scripture study within those self-same Scriptures. Oh, for sure. Even with today... I was finishing up these chapters and I was thinking to myself, I was like, I need to read the scriptures every day to be able to keep up with Come Follow Me. And then I thought to myself again, yeah, you need to read the scriptures every day to keep up with Come Follow Me, Amberly. That's kind of the point. (laughs) I don't know why it took me all the way to the end of January to be like, ah, yes, scripture reading every day. That's how you accomplish the goal. Anyways, that was a conclusion that I kicked myself in the pants about today. <laughs> but it's a conclusion that takes a lot of people, myself included. I'm not excusing myself. It takes a lot of people a lot of time to realize. Yeah. So, And it's like a constant realization over and over again. Because like on my mission, I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to spend two to five hours a day just in the scriptures by myself. I mean, not really five, but at least two with 
the studies in the morning and I don't know. Anyways, just missionary say, studies. Absolutely. I was, and there, there are seasons of life where you get to do two hours a day. There's seasons of life where maybe it's a half hour a day. That's fine. Yeah. Give God consistent time to talk with you through the scriptures. And by small and simple things, great things will come to pass. So For sure. I think about scripture study as not just time in the book, but also time in pondering. And that's one of the things that I've loved the most about this last month is that I am constantly, whether I'm doing the dishes or driving Gabriel to school or any of these things, I'm I'm constantly pondering what I've just recently read and like ruminating on it and chewing on it because I'm really thinking about it. And I think that that's what the Lord really wants from us is our idle time. I mean, he wants all of our time, but our idle time, I feel like, is is time that I don't give to the Lord as much as I should. Right. We've got to be willing to consecrate that time to him. So Yes, that. <laughs> and it's in that sort of context, talking about the importance of scripture and the importance of Nephi wanting his seed to know that they are of the house of Israel and that they are part of the grand plan that Nephi starts quoting Isaiah in chapters 20 and 21. Um, So this is written in the context of, I want my descendants to know that they are of the chosen people and that that comes with blessings and responsibilities. I have done my best here to try and give some insights into different verses. Again, I'm not going to be able to go through verse by verse. Um, I don't know if I'd have something helpful to say if I did on each verse, but hopefully this can help us parse some of what we've got here. So in chapter 20, verse 1, just starting out, Nephi, quoting Isaiah, says, Hearken and hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, or out of the waters of baptism, who swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, yet they swear not in truth, nor in righteousness. Okay, so who's the audience here? Let's keep that in mind as we keep reading. It's the people of the house of Judah who have been baptized and talk like they follow the Lord, but in truth do not. That is the audience. So, I'm going to skip over to verse 5. It reads, And I have even from the beginning declared to thee, before it came to pass, I showed them thee, and I showed them for fear lest thou shouldst say, Mine idol hath done them and my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. I guess what I should say is in verse 3, he's talking about Isaiah is essentially kind of talking for the Lord, saying there's all this prophecy that's going to happen, and I showed them, and I did show them suddenly at the end of verse 3. And the reason that God is showing these things suddenly to his people is that he wants to give them undeniable proof that he lives and that we are his people. This is a good thing, But it also comes with the side effect of us being unable to attribute these things to anything else. That's part of the point. He can do this on a personal level if we let him, but he can also do it on an institutional level so that everyone has to reckon with the question of, is this really God's church or do I think it was all made up? When it comes to doing things suddenly and the fulfilling of prophecy, you can't explain Joseph Smith's life story. You can't rationalize the droves of early pioneers who trekked into a barren desert, and you can't even begin to contend with the mere existence of the Book of Mormon without acknowledging that there was a divine hand at work, unless you just think that there is no divine hand at all. There are no half measures. God has made sure of that with his people. You have to choose whom shall ye serve. And there was never meant to be any middle ground. As he goes on, and I'm sorry, this is really so much better with the full context. Um, <laughs> we're already we're already pretty long. Right. <laughs> In verse 8, he says, Yea, and thou heardest not. Yea, thou knewest not. Yea, from that time thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldst deal very treacherously and was called a transgressor from the womb. God is lamenting that his people are not listening to him. So when God says at the start of the chapter that he's talking to all of those who are baptized and profess his name, but don't really do it, in truth, he's talking to all of us. We're all transgressors from the womb, and inevitably we become sinners in life. We would do well to remember that in the grand scheme of things, we're not really too terribly different from one another. 
and that Christ can redeem everyone equally. But, God says, continuing on, that he will refine us through that affliction. In verse 11, he says, For mine own sake, yea, for mine own sake will I do this, for I will not suffer my name to be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another. God has a plan and has had a plan from the beginning. He knows it is the best plan. He will not let Satan's plan be viewed as superior in retrospect, nor will he let Satan frustrate his own plan. His love is too great for us to allow him to do otherwise. Moving, uh, I was going to say, there's so I, much here. I'm so sorry that I'm, I'm not able to just go through every verse and talk about <laughs> all, all of the context. We're missing so much context here. We should just do a like first Nephi 16 through 22.5 <laughs> podcast episode as well. I'm not, I'm not mad that we're taking so long. I know I'm not either. I'm mad that I'm not just reading this word for word because I feel like I'm not giving the right context to all of these things. I'm just jumping around. I mean, this is this is the part of the podcast where we encourage you to do your own come follow me study as well, because this is so like I know I was complaining about the Isaiah chapters at the beginning of the podcast, but they really do have. I think it was last week's episode where we were talking about having the spirit of revelation with us. And if you have the spirit of revelation, then God really will teach you so much with these Isaiah chapters. And I'm realizing that I've highlighted every third verse, at which point (laughs) I might as well just read the whole thing. So I think what we're going to do here, maybe, maybe I can do a bonus episode of just me reading Isaiah. (laughs) Know that chapter 20, God is saying, I have a plan for Israel. I know that they're going to fall away for a time, but I will call. At first, the Isaiah is referring to Cyrus of Persia will lead them out of Babylon and back to Israel geographically. But there's that double meaning that I will call someone to lead you out of darkness and captivity. And that is Christ the Savior. In chapter 21, he talks about how eventually the Jews will lead the Gentiles to the light, but then afterwards the Gentiles will gather the Jews in the last days and that he will ensure that everyone comes to the mountain of the Lord. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing right now. We are of the house of Israel, and there has never been a better prophet to emphasize the gathering of Israel. Um, I think President Nelson might only come second to Isaiah when it comes to talking and prophesying about the gathering of Israel. So we're going to go ahead and skip over that and just go over just a little bit of chapter 22 where Nephi blessedly gives this whole interpretation of the chapters that he just quoted. So please go read those. But I believe you had just a couple thoughts on chapter 22. I mean, for the sake of time, we can just read the chapter heading of 22. Israel will be scattered upon the face of the earth. The Gentiles will nurse and nourish Israel with the gospel in the last days. Israel will be gathered and saved, and the wicked will burn as stubble. The kingdom of the devil will be destroyed, and Satan will be bound about 588 to 570 BC. And the reason that I also read the the BC that we're in is I have this linked in the Gospel Principles Manual. In verse 3, about 100 years after the capture of the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom was conquered. The capital city of Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 BC, and many members of the remaining two tribes of Israel were taken captive. Later, some of these members returned and rebuilt Jerusalem. Just before Jerusalem was destroyed, Lehi and his family, who were members of the House of Israel, left the city and settled in the Americas. So it's interesting that this is all being brought up in these scriptures as Jerusalem is being destroyed. They are in the Americas. They cannot go confirm for themselves that Jerusalem was just destroyed. So this is truly like prophecy inception almost. (laughs) These scriptures are their confirmation of Lehi's revelations because Lehi saw that Jerusalem would be destroyed. And now they're reading in the brass plates that Isaiah earlier had said that Jerusalem would, maybe not in his directive language, but that the children of Israel would be scattered. So just to wrap everything up, I'm going to read the last two verses in chapter 22, starting in 30. 
Wherefore, my brethren, I would that ye should consider the things which have been written upon the plates of brass are true, and they testify that a man must be obedient to the commandments of God. Wherefore, ye need not suppose that I and my father are the only ones that have testified and also taught them. Wherefore, if ye shall be obedient to the commandments and endure to the end, ye shall be saved at the last day. And thus it is. Amen. And the note that I have from this, a fun fact, we always are quoting or giving reference to Brother Halverson's Unshaken Saints podcast because we love it. Brother Halverson was my institute teacher in person when I was on my mission in Nashville, which was pretty fun. And when we got to this spot in his institute class, he talked a lot about last words because those are those are Nephi's last words here in this book. And I really love last words and just thinking about this was the last thing that Nephi wanted to say to us in this book. Why is that so important? We talk about Second Nephi being the Isaiah chapters. Why were these two, not to say that they're the highlight Isaiah chapters, but kind of he like took them out for a purpose. So if we're looking at this, this Come Follow Me lesson being... I mean, not even just the whole lesson, but just really starting in chapter, what, 19 or 20, being Nephi's last words, and then all culminating into these last words of, these plates are true. They testify that a man must be obedient to the commandments of God. They, I mean, I'm going to add here, they testify of Jesus Christ. If ye shall be obedient to the commandments and endure to the end, ye shall be saved. And I'm just imagining that with such vigor from Nephi. Almost a desperation of please listen to me, listen to Lehi, listen to Isaiah. Yeah. And I think that that's just a great way to conclude this lesson this week of just listen guys and a real like lead in to the rest of the Book of Mormon. Well, that was a doozy. Man, I don't know how long this is going to be once I've edited it, but... Thanks for sticking around, guys. <laughs> Just wait till we get to the Isaiah chapters in full. We'll, we'll summarize a little better, I'm, I'm I, betting. We, we, we will come up with a system. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we want to make sure that these podcasts are... An a- hour-ish. I was going to say attainable. <laughs> I've been keeping them about 50 minutes, and I think that that's a good sweet spot for almost too long for... A couple of our, li- like, we have 10 listeners. <laughs> we need to listen to what they want. So if you're listening, I don't remember if there's an option on Apple Podcasts. I know there's an option on Spotify to leave us a, a little note of like, what did you think of this episode? If you're like, too long, just write too long. Also, there's somebody in Poland listening, apparently. So hello, person in Poland. I think you've listened to every episode and we appreciate it. We also appreciate all of you people in America that are listening. The other nine. Yes, <laughs> the other nine. <laughs> so thank you for listening to the Sunday School Supplement this week. If you want to follow us for updates, we have an Instagram page. We would love to hear from you there. We would also love to hear from you just in general if you want to rate and review the podcast. So, Do you have anything else to say, Kendall? Nope. I okay. think we're good. Awesome. So thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Bye.